staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. What is broken about Twitter? I mean, I, I think it really depends on who you follow. There, there's a lot of emphasis today on politics Twitter. And politics Twitter tends to be pretty divisive and it tends to be pretty contentious. And you see a lot of unhealthy debate that you probably want to walk away from. Don't need to hear him saying the N-word to know he's racist. This is the man who's attacking the NFL constantly. This is a man who stands on black people's necks so that he can appear taller to white people. White nationalism and white entitlement were at the basis of his campaign. We don't need any more evidence the jury is in primarily our youth programs aren't designed to facilitate deep meaningful lasting young adult relationships so these young people sort of know about the bible they esteem the bible but they don't necessarily believe that the bible has claim on their lives and now stacy washington oh yeah welcome back yeah you have been messaging me and God bless you. Thank you so much for the notes and everybody reaching out and going, where are you? We had an amazing, amazing couple of days over this past weekend. And so I'll tell you all about where I've been and what we've been up to and what today's show is going to be about. In fact, let's start with that. Welcome in to Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And uh, guess what? Yeah, we're back. (laughs) So... Twitter's on the left, breaking news. We're going to talk about that today. We're also going to have Maddie Dupler of uh, Independent Women's Forum. She's going to come on today and talk about the midterm prospects for the GOP. And then, hour two, we're going to continue. We're going to crack into this topic uh, from the Marriage and Family Conference, the Urban Family Talk Marriage and Family Conference. If you are listening to the show right now and you missed that we were doing that, Oh my goodness, what an amazing time we had. And we had such a great group of people to show up, well over 200 registrations. So lots of people were there. I was only able to, because of family commitments, uh, be there on Friday. But my Friday was the most energizing Friday at a conference I have had, I'd say, probably since... CPAC 2012. Now, I've never been to Value Voters Summit, um, so maybe, you know, maybe I've missed out on opportunities to be this energized, and we'll rectify that. But I have to say, um, it was an amazing event. So we're going to get into that as well. You are probably thinking, okay, Stacey, Urban Family Talk, Marriage and Family Conference. Well, Urban Family Talk was started by Will Addison. He's the general manager of Urban Family Talk, and he is in charge of the programming there and and all of that. And he's responsible for bringing me to the network. So uh, he's my boss, and I'm very happy to be a part of this. So he'd had for years as a part of his vision for Urban Family Talk to have this marriage and family conference. And so he and his wife, Miki, who hosts the morning show on American or on Urban Family Talk, they actually started, you know, bringing this idea into the, you know, actual, this is something that's going to happen mode. And all of the hosts were very excited about it, including myself. And so the planning began. And so it was decided that it would be August 17th and 18th, um, and that we would meet in Tupelo at Hope Church, and that we'd have breakout sessions and speakers, and that's what happened. So Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation, who I've met before, but I'd never been uh, at a conference where you know, I I was actually kind of on the program a little bit. He was one of the keynotes. 
And so we had Abraham Hamilton III, Mickey Addison was a keynote, There were, and Dr. Schuler was a keynote. So there was an amazing group of people who came together. But what was most impressive to me about it for that Friday, because I arrived in Tupelo on Thursday evening and then uh, was there all day Friday and flew out on Saturday. And what I found amazing was the distance that people traveled to attend the conference. They wanted to hear what we had to say about marriage and family and it was an amazing presentation. So there were a number of breakout sessions. And I, I had a breakout session with Miki Addison where we talked about preparing your child for either public school or homeschool and what that looks like intersecting with, you know, the Christian worldview, which is the reason why a lot of Christians have pulled their kids out of public school, because you can no longer have the Christian worldview and not be basically competing with your child's teacher as to what your child believes on a day-to-day basis. But we talked about all of that. And part of that conversation was Miki presenting in her keynote on uh, Friday morning that so many, just huge percentage of, of kids who are millennials are unchurched because they left the church when they were 12 or 13 years old, when they couldn't reconcile something they learned in science class with what the Bible says. And, uh, you know, another huge segment of the, that group, they just don't have uh any idea of how the Bible and the Bible stories and going to church and faith really intersect with their calling to be a graphic designer or, you know, whatever it is that they feel called to do in in the world through their work. And so as technology takes over, they see less and less relevancy for Christ, the Bible, and the church. So they're still going to church with their parents, but they're checked out. They're not there. And the minute they have the opportunity to no longer be forced to go to church, then they stop going. And so during the marriage and family conference, I felt, first off, it was a lot of different feelings. Like I got to spend a couple of minutes talking to uh, Tim Wildman and, and his son. Oh, I, look, these are great people. Wesley Wildman, we were just chatting. We were in the sanctuary and I walked over just to say hi. And I, I'm just so glad to be a part of the, the group. Like just, you know, it, you know how you say some people are like, I'm just glad to be here. That's how I was. <laughs> so it was great to speak with them and catch up with them. But there was a moment during the conference where we were um, doing the panel on engagement, and it was a panel with Dr. Clarence Schuler, Abraham Hamilton III, um, Pastor Dexter Sanders, and Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation, and myself. And I was the only girl on the panel, so Miki and I kind of played off of that a little bit. But it was really, it, was, it wasn't about gender. It was about us being there and each having something to say about engagement. And I just kind of, as I was listening to them speak, the, the mental acuity and brilliance on that panel, the amount of knowledge that was there, and all of them underneath, the, so the knowledge is underneath the fact that they just love God and want to serve him and want to do amazing things for the kingdom and that they're truth tellers, whip smart truth tellers. It was amazing. It was just, you know, it's hard to really articulate, but I I was truly encouraged and uh, kind of, you get your engine revved up when you get information and you're like, you know what? I got to do something about that. You know, what should I do? That's where I was the whole time I was at the conference. And so my encouragement to you is if you didn't make it this year, and it it was just like the body of Christ, just in case you're wondering who all showed up, everybody of every different background from all over the country. There was even a couple there from West Africa. And I gave away some books and resources, not that I wrote, but things that are important to me in my, in my faith walk that I 
use on a regular basis, I gave a couple of those away. And we'll be doing more of that here on the show. But the point to all of it was that people drove and flew and stayed in hotels and brought their kids and their husbands with them, some of the women. I mean, it was families, it was individuals, it was couples, you know, blacks, whites, you name it. It was everybody who was interested in learning more about marriage and family and that biblical worldview came to the conference. And let me tell you, Will Addison, Mickey Addison, everybody on the on the the program brought it like it was their last speaking engagement. It was amazing. And so I just encourage you for next year, you know, if you get wind that we're having this conference again, I encourage you to book your hotel. Even if you're not sure, just put put a pin in it by booking the hotel so you'll have somewhere to stay in Tupelo and get down there. Tupelo is a great little town. Um, lots to do there for it to be a, a smaller town. It has a big draw for a lot of people in the surrounding area to come into Tupelo during the week. And they had the furniture mart and the bodybuilding uh, association or competition was there. And so there was a lot of competition for how to get a hotel room for that weekend. And so that's why I encourage you to book ahead because you never know what, who else is going to be in town that weekend, but don't miss it. Ne- next year is your opportunity to see it again. And it'll be a, a whole just different flavor because there'll be different keynote speakers and you're going to want to be there and take advantage of the content. So some of what we discussed was this, it's a phenomenon where, you know, I would have never thought like one of the things that we discussed um, on numerous occasions during the conference, it came up that such a large percentage, it's like 14% of generation Z. So children aged four to 18 are generation Z you know, for now, because the anthropologists usually tweak those numbers a little bit. But if you're 19 this year to, I think, age 38, you're you're a millennial. But if you're four to 18, you're Generation Z. And those kids are actually the ones who are the highest percentage of kids who actually admit openly claiming atheism in the history of this country, the largest unchurched generation in the history of this country. And they're not popping out of nowhere. These kids actually come from Christian homes, a lot of them. They, but they claim atheism. And my joke with Mickey Addison, we just played off of it a couple times during the day, was I, you know, if my mom even heard the word atheism, I don't care where she was. I, she could even magically do it from work. Her head would pop around the corner and be like, we don't have any atheists here. Atheism. Like, we all know that. I mean, only a fool says there is no God. She would go straight to the word and she could just quote all day long. And we were, I was raised in church, my sister and I, and it just never occurred to us to espouse a belief that denied the existence of the creator. Yet this is where children are. And it can't be a surprise when we see the control, the command and control structure that Planned Parenthood has with the eugenics agenda, and they've partnered together to control our K through 12 public education systems, which is why it's so important that you either get involved or get your kids out. But you can't leave your kids in public school and not be involved and expect everything to turn out okay. You just can't do it. You have to be a rock-solid Christian household, not a cultural Christian, but a rock-solid Christian household in order to make the kind of discipleship happen where your child will not be drug away from the faith gradually by attending public school. So I want to listen to this trailer. It's It's a movie called You Lost Me, and it's about millennials who've left the faith. And this is about millennials, but the most recent Barna Group information is at Barna.com. And you can find their most recent study, which is an update of the one before, where they talk about this current Generation Z group of kids and how they're walking away from Christianity. And you might think to yourself, well, they'll make their way back. Well, 
I mean, our only job as parents is to raise up children who love God and want to glorify him forever, who are disciples. That's our job as parents. Um, we may also add in that they want to get a good education and they go on to college and, you know, they, they, they're, they're, we're supposed to be raising them to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If we're not doing that, what are we doing? So first off, let me, uh, we'll listen to the, you lost me trailer, the first bit. And then after we come back from the, the first break in this hour, we're going to be speaking with Maddie Dupler, founder and president of forward strategies about election stuff. And then what we'll do is we're going to kind of wind our way around. We're going to listen to some audio of CEO Jack Dorsey of uh, Twitter, talk about the left-leaning stuff, talk about the, the kneeling protests, take some calls at our, the end of hour one. We'll take your calls and let you weigh in on pretty much whatever we've discussed so far this hour. And then we'll circle back around to this subject of the millennials leaving. And there's some fascinating information, but that'll be an hour two. So right now, let's listen to number three. Churches have fallen into this consumer corporate model of, of putting on a show. You know, I, part of me doesn't want to go to church to be entertained. You know? I want it to cost me something. I actually want it to cost me something. You know, and I think we've we've fallen into this this trap of sitting there and being entertained and receiving. You get your fix and then you go, and somehow that's insufficient to me. You present that the only reason someone could leave the church is because they were upset or uh, discouraged or you know someone was mean to them or whatever it is then you you've completely talked past the person who left for intellectual reasons yeah people like me um, you're going to continue to lose us if there's no answers there and so this is a millennial talking about some of the struggles that he had with growing up in a Christian home, but not being able to reconcile questions that he had. And there are a ton of resources like Hugh Ross is an actual astrophysicist and rocket scientist who can answer. He has written all these books about answers to faith questions. So questions you have about Noah and the ark. Children ask lots of questions about that because it is absolutely implausible that everybody on the face of the earth was killed by a flood that covered the whole face of the earth. Yet just a few people survived and they took two of every species, every species. How did that happen? Hugh Ross can tell you the answer to that. So you don't have to say to your kids, just have faith because that's why they're leaving because they don't want to just have faith. They want to know the answer. The Bible provides for that, but we have to be able to do the research and actually tell our kids what the truth is or point them in the direction of the truth so that they can know that the Bible is true. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Maddie Doppler. Hey, at Stacey on the right on Twitter and Instagram. Be right back. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Randy Alcorn, in his powerful little book, The Treasure Principle, rightly states that giving is a barometer of our spiritual maturity. In fact, some years ago, a friend of mine who is executive pastor of a large church told me that there was a noticeable correlation between what God has done in the lives of the church members and what they put in the offering plate. Part of our problem in the Christian life, I think, is that we segment our lives. We say, this is what I give, this is what I do at home, and this is what I do at church, and this is what I do in the community. But true spirituality demonstrates that all we have and all we are belong to God. 
There's no segmentation with God. I was reminded of this as I read 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 10. And Azariah said to him, Since the contributions began to be brought into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat with plenty left over. For the Lord has blessed his people, and this great quantity is left over. He says, These people are giving primarily because God has touched their hearts. We've got too much. Isn't that a great problem to have? Their generosity was a work of the Spirit of God in their midst. Let me ask you a question. How grateful are you for what God has done and is doing in your life? Does your checkbook indicate your gratitude? Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, has had a profound impact on me. We all need to embrace the message that he underscores of generosity, of sacrifice, and not segmenting our lives. Take a look at your stewardship. It's not part of your life. It is all of your life. Thanks, Crawford, and thank you for listening to today's Legacy Moment, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've been all over the country helping disaster victims who lose everything. It's truly a blessing. I really don't have the words to express. And yet they see a glimmer of hope when a volunteer shows up. Building the home, that's the second reason we're here. The number one reason is to share the gospel and and give them hope. It's everything that's right in America. I mean, it really represents the, the best that we have to offer. That's one of the main reasons for doing it, is being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and coming out and working with so many wonderful volunteers. I just feel like it's important in this day and age to teach a child uh, how to serve. Please go to our website, 8daysofhope.com, and click on Get Involved. Submit your email address, and the next time we go anywhere with a disaster, we'll invite you to come along as well. I love coming in the job room because you can see these pieces of paper, they aren't just a piece of paper. Right. It's a family that's hurting, and it's a gospel opportunity. And you know, I just thank God, you know, for this moment. I mean, I'll be back in my home, and I know it's going to be awesome. Come love others with 8 Days of Hope. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Go to urbanfamilytalk.com and AFR.net. You can find the podcast there, and you can also um, you know, read the articles from many hosts who are on both networks and uh, just fantastic content from everybody. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Maddie Doubler, founder and president of Forward Strategies, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, visiting fellow Independent Women's Forum. Maddie, thanks for joining the show today. Uh Uh-oh. Looks like we lost her, but we will get her back. In the meantime, uh, I want to give you just a little bit more. So this is one of those things where, um, have you ever, have you ever hung, so have you ever gone and sat with a group of people that you don't get to see often, maybe, maybe coworkers or something like that? This is what continually struck me over the weekend. I was continually struck by the, the, the fact that these are the people that I work with. Have, have you ever had that moment where Everyone is doing their best work and you're sitting there like, is this like, is this my actual crew? This is awesome. That's how I was all day Friday from the people who were volunteering and working out front with the, you know, the kind of gift bags and things like that to um, everyone who was doing the kind of tertiary volunteer type stuff to the people who actually got to spend time with Lonnie Poindexter was there. Um, It just... 
I could keep naming, naming and naming, but it was so, it was impactful. It was, it was like sitting there and receiving something that I maybe didn't know that I needed, but I did need it. And so, uh, it was, it was exactly as it should have been, except for the fact that I had to leave on Saturday and I wasn't able to hear, uh, down to the end of the, the actual event, which I'm hoping to get, there's going to be CDs of the event that we can get. And that's where I'm going to get to partake of that second day that I missed because I had to come home. Uh, you, you guys know we, oh, update on the situation with our college student. She's in college. It happened. We dropped her off. I did not melt or blow away like so much dust in one of the sci-fi movies. And I live to tell about it. And she's even been back home to pick up some stuff that she was like, I forgot this. I forgot that. She drove home over the weekend and picked up a few things and uh, is back there. And this is the first week she was there for freshman week. So this is week one. And uh, it looks like it's going well. Thanks to the technology. I remember going to college and I did not speak to my parents. Um, Well, of course, we spoke by phone, but it was only once every two or three weeks, sometimes once a week, but more often because they were overseas in Germany. So it was really expensive. And um, there was no texting. I used to go to the mailbox and I'd have letters from my parents and I would read them. One from my sister, one from my mom, one from my dad. And they didn't always write me every week. So sometimes some weeks it would just be my dad. Other weeks. I mean, that was it. There was no texting. There was no instant communication. So I have to count my blessings. I'm, I'm blessed to have. Um, the ability to just text her and have her text me right back. It's really wonderful. Um, so I, I'm going to have to tell my producer again today that I don't have my, I'm going to try with my call screener software, but I am not sure if we have our guest back. Um, live radio. Uh Oh, and I, and I don't know how to turn off that sound on my call screening computer. Okay. So we do not have Maddie Doppler of, uh, forward strategies. Oh, okay. Awesome. We do. Perfect. So it's my pleasure to welcome Maddie Doppler, founder and president of forward strategies. Maddie, thank you for joining the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Okay. So let's talk about this, uh, unemployment numbers and what exactly do those numbers, which have been trending in the right direction and, uh, do in no small part or do entirely to the president's policies, um, that have spurred on the economy. What does it mean for the midterms? Exactly. Well, you know, every week now we're seeing positive economic data emerging as a result of not just the president's tax cut, which is fundamentally rewriting the way businesses invest here in the United States, um, but also the rest of the Trump economic agenda when it comes to domestic policy. Deregulation has been a huge boon for business. All of a sudden we're seeing all of these small businesses across the country able to invest in their workers the way they've wanted to all along, but haven't been able to because of an onerous regulatory regime. So, We're seeing, as a result, tight labor markets, which means people have jobs if they want jobs. They can switch jobs if they want to. There are now more open, vacant vacant jobs uh, than there are workers in the country, which is an incredible feat given where we were just a couple years ago when we were hearing about millions of workers out of work. Uh, But more than that, we're seeing even uh, more robust metrics of economic success in the form of American savings rate going up. Just this first quarter of this year, we have seen the Bureau of Economic Analysis uh, double what they expect to be the savings rates for Americans, which is a huge difference from just the past 10 years. You know, going into the recession in 2008, there was this sense in America that the equity in people's homes was enough to have um, in terms of a savings nest egg, and people weren't actually investing in their futures in the way that they're doing so now. We saw it last week 
record number of 401k millionaires because people have started saving their money again. So these these flagging inequalities in the economy because of the changes made in the regulatory regime and with tax reform, we're starting to see the scales rebalance themselves in a way that opens up the path to prosperity for a lot more Americans. Okay, so Maddie, we're gonna have to go over a couple of those things because you just you just shared a lot. Um, first of all, 401k millionaires. Let's talk about that a little bit because I guarantee you we're never going to see that on CNN or MSNBC. They're too busy talking (laughs) about how the president, not only is he a racist and a traitorous, treasonous individual, but he's also going to start a race war. That's the most recent garbage they're spewing over there. Meanwhile, they could be telling Americans, did you know it's possible for you to be a 401k millionaire? Most Americans don't even know that's a possibility. Let's talk about it. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, and and I'm, 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 I'm tired of this consistent pessimism from the mainstream media, <laughs> where everywhere you look, there are reasons to be optimistic, and that savings rate really is one. Uh, the great thing about savings is that they compound, so that means that if you begin saving today, you are already richer tomorrow than you would have been otherwise, and that's the case with 401k millionaires, people who have decided to start saving, you know, even at their first job, that first job where an employer offers them some kind of retirement package. We see people who are taking employers up on that. Not only are they doing that, they're getting the full match from their employer. And that's a way to really start to build a nest egg that you can rely on in the future. Uh, And, you know, I'm a millennial. We get a bad rap, millennials, for our uh, spending habits. And, you know, millennials are consistently a little bit uh, anxious about entering into the stock market and don't have the saving rates of older generations. But right now what we're seeing is not only optimism um, in terms of economic underlying numbers, but the stock market really doing so well, I think, will increase the confidence for young people like myself to start taking up their employers on those kinds of options for savings vehicles. And then looking forward into September, the House of Representatives has said, the House Republicans have said that when they come back in September, they want to do tax reform 2.0. And a big component of that is increasing savings and savings opportunities for employers and workers. Oh, my goodness. So that just makes me so excited. I mean, anything that kind of spurs employees to kind of break out of, you know, I got this list of things to do today and I have my boss, you know, is IMing me about you know X, Y, and Z. Anything to get employees mm-hmm. to stop for five seconds and say, wait a minute, do you mean that as a millennial, if I start saving just this percentage or this amount, or if I just meet the match, so save enough to get the entire pl- employer match, at some point yep. I could be a 401k millionaire and this doesn't have to, I don't have to stop drinking custom coffees or, you know, turn off my Hulu <laughs> account. You know, I mean, this is the real talk, right, Maddie? We're, we're, right. So I'm not a millennial, but I have read many conflicting stories about millennials, how you guys are much more prone to saving and investing than you are to big spending, how you're much more likely to live in fewer square feet and buy cheaper furniture. So you're, you're kind of the mm-hmm. Ikea generation where you don't need a $2,000 Henry and Don buffet in your dining room if you even have a right. dining room because you don't see any reason for the extra square footage. I mean, there are some things about millennials that aren't touted as often that are are really, you're kind of a more practical people, if you will, which I find fascinating because again, it's, it's the people who raised you that kind of bring you, you you kind of emerge as this people group. And then we have to kind of wait and see, well, what are, what are we going to get? Like, what do we bake up? What, what is, what is this generation going to be like? But this is an opportunity for all of us as Americans, regardless of politics to just say, look, take advantage of this economy and whatever your employer is offering. And many of them are offering great things. Right, exactly. And this all goes back to when the economy is doing well, employers have to increase their compensation and their benefits package in order to keep employees happy. Because right now, if an employee doesn't have the benefits package that they like, 
they can go to another employer. They've got that mobility to do so. So increasing those types of matches for a 401k or other types of retirement benefits is one way that employers can keep employees in this tight labor market. You know, young people really came of financial age during the recession. So they're a little little leery of uh, of investing uh, long-term in the stock market. But I do think when you have an employer who offers some kind of retirement benefit, it's a nice little gateway into that experience because all you need to do is check with your HR department and uh, mark down that you would like to have part of your compensation going to a retirement package, and then you can kind of leave it and forget it. Uh, And it grows over time without you having to even miss that income coming in the door because it goes straight to your retirement account to begin with. Yeah. And one of the tips that I think my husband and I have heard it so often that it's like a mantra, which is when you get a raise, automatically take some of the raise and put it towards your 401k. You know, so you do that before the money hits and you get used to it. And so you're you can actually really exponentially get to that if you're wanting to get to five percent or 10 percent or first meet the employer match number and then get beyond that. So, you know, and you can really get to a place where you're at like 20% of your income. It's not unheard of. It's not that you're not living. It's that when you get a raise, it doesn't automatically go towards bigger house, newer car, you know, cowgirl boots. It doesn't go to that right away (laughs) unless you've met your 401k goals. And I'm just noticing over at marketwatch.com, one of their most popular stories right now while we're having this conversation is that the Dow is on the verge of busting out of correction phase for the first time in six months. This is a great Mm -hmm. economy to be alive in. It's a great economy to be alive. It's a great economy to be cutting your teeth in, even if you're an anxious or new investor. It's a great opportunity to really be able to look uh, with a clear view at what the market opportunity is for you, because you don't have to be a billionaire. You don't have to be built. You don't have to be buying up, you know, huge portions of a hedge fund in order to participate in this market. A couple dollars can get you started, and especially if you have an employer who's offering you that opportunity, uh, you know, you really should be taking advantage of that as a young person. And we saw that too with businesses and companies at the beginning of the year. Some of them, what they did with the tax reform bonuses, some companies were giving cash bonuses to their employees, but others were expanding the compensation packages and increasing their 401k matches, recognizing that a dollar today is compounded in a dollar tomorrow and their employees will be better off in the long run as a result. Okay, I hope people are listening to this. And if you're just tuning in, we have the privilege of having Maddie Duppler, founder and president of Forward Strategy, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and visiting fellow at Independent Women's Forum. So some of our favorite organizations, Maddie's intersected with all of those. And then what we're talking about right now is how the unemployment numbers and this fantastic economic outlook that we're enjoying right now. And it's it's, again, a penny saved today, not counting on this same economy being here this time next year. You just take advantage of what we got going on now is that the midterm elections are looking kind of rosy for the party that's bringing all this economic prosperity. Exactly right. You know, it would be a statistical anomaly for Republicans to lose the chambers of commerce that Congress that they currently uh, run uh, with unemployment being this low, with the economic environment being as good as it is. Now, that being said, it is Republicans' job to go out and remind Americans why they are feeling more confident right now. All of this optimism that Americans are feeling, whether it be that they have a bigger 401k and that they're finally able to open an investment account that they haven't been able to for, for ages and ages for lack of opportunity, or just the fact that they hated their job and now they feel like they can leave and go uh, find a new job. All of those are reasons for optimism, but they need to be reminded that it is a result of Republican pro-growth policies that that is the ecosystem we find ourselves in. And Republicans, you know, sometimes they struggle with message discipline. I really would like to see all members 
of both the House of Representatives and the Senate back in their districts this August talking about what a difference it makes to just have those changes in the tax code that have really only been around for nine months now. Remember, the tax bill only passed in December of last year. So we haven't even had a full year to cycle in all of the new changes that will happen as a result of this changes, these changes in public policy. But I think the first two quarters of this year indicate that there's a lot of room for growth and a lot of uh, reason for Americans to feel optimistic about this economic environment because of those tax changes. And there's ways that we can build on that, too. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the House Republicans have talked a lot about doing tax reform 2.0 and building on the components of the tax bill that are so important to average Americans. Making the tax cuts permanent on the individual side is huge. That's one of the main planks of tax reform 2.0. The second part is the savings, making sure savings are available to all workers and all employers who want to offer them to their workers. And then really creating a robust environment for entrepreneurship, because we know that the way our economy is evolving, it needs to be supportive of entrepreneurs and small businesses who need more access to capital than the entrenched interest in the big businesses. Getting rid of that corporate rate, getting it down from 35 to 21 percent last December was so crucial in terms of re-leveling the playing field for American businesses. But now we need to make sure that uh, there is permanent economic policy in place that allows businesses not only to grow, but to scale and to start. We want the young entrepreneurs sitting in the middle of the country to feel that they have just as much opportunity to start their dream business as someone who is living in a big urban center um, or somewhere close to you know, their local government. Everyone should feel that they have that opportunity. And so we just have time for one more quick question. And I just have to ask you, because we had, uh, we, we've had some fantastic guests on talking about the economy. And one of the things that's been asserted recently by a guest is that uh, we're going to see some calming down of all of this economic optimism. After the tax reform has gotten some age on it, maybe a year, then we're going to see things kind of go back to that 2.1% GDP. And I'm not hearing that from you right now. If I'm, if I'm uh, analyzing what I've heard from you in just these last few mm-hmm. minutes correctly, you actually are seeing the opposite of that. I think that we are seeing a change in the way the economy has functioned for the past several years. Remember that the new normal for many years was one and a half, maybe two percent growth, which was absolutely anemic compared to what the average uh, growth rate had been in the United States for the modern era. So when it comes to the actual growth rate, I think we'll continue to see that stick pick upwards or at least stay at around three percent. Uh, But what I think is really important is what the change in public policy this past year has done to increase the opportunity for more changes in the future. Like I said, getting rid of that barrier on the corporate tax rate is so important because it creates the inertia and the opportunity for people to experience the effect of pro-growth policy, to learn from that, and then implement more changes on top of the benefits they've already received from those initial changes. Ah, perfect. Maddie Doppler, thank you so much for being with us today. We'll be back with more right after this. Capital One commercial will forever be etched in the ear of the listener. What's in your wallet is a phrase that won't easily be forgotten. But this is not a Capital One plug. I want you to think about the people that are in your circle of influence. Who's in your circle is my new catchphrase. Simply because we don't think enough about the people or spirits that we allow into our personal space. Negativity is contagious and fatal. Misery loves company and it's fatal to your hopes and dreams. I think we all know something 
someone who, no matter what good has happened, always has something negative to say. Ugh, that really bothers me. That bad attitude and that pessimistic spirit will only cause you to do the same. There's no room for doubt, especially if you're believing God to bring that vision to fruition. Now, this is not a license for you to be mean. It is, however, a license for you to assess who's in your circle and make the necessary adjustments. With a heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. Netflix continues to ignore the outcry about 13 Reasons Why. The American Family Association, along with Parents Television Council and several other pro-family groups, have reached out to the streaming service, urging the cancellation of their program. Netflix has not even responded to our letter. Instead, they released an even more vile Season 2 and are producing Season 3. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings says their program is engaging and that it fosters discussion of taboo topics like suicide and sexual assault. But at what cost? 14-year-old Anna Bright and several other teens have committed suicide after watching the show. Hastings calls our objections propaganda. Does he feel the profitability of his company is worth more than the lives damaged or lost because of his show? Please sign our petition to Netflix, learn more, and share our action alert when you visit afa.net. And pray Reed Hastings will recognize the dangers of 13 Reasons Why. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Here's what we learned from the recent special election in Ohio's 12th Congressional District. Things are really, really close, but they're tight lots of places. Over the past year and a half, Democrats have repeatedly transformed special elections in what are otherwise safe GOP districts into dogfights. But save for a special election by Democratic Pennsylvania Representative Connor Lamb, Democrats repeatedly fail to win on Republican turf. Democrats may be putting seats in play, but they've yet to emerge from these fights with many victories. Moral wins don't help. Democrats need to steal seats in districts which Republicans historically own. In Ohio, Democrats did well in suburban parts of that district. That's key, but frankly, they need to do a little better in order to take seats like these. In addition, Democrats ran strong in rural parts of the district, but it still wasn't enough. Democrats won't beat Republicans in rural America. The question is just how much Democrats can suppress the GOP vote there and offset that inherent advantage. This is something Democrats need in districts across the board this fall, if there's to be any chance of a blue wave. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The president called you out for shadow banning. What is the truth around that idea? So I, I think a lot of the, in, the the statements behind the statement and the question behind the question is, um, look, shadow banning is a very widely defined term. There's not one single definition. Um, so the definition that we found that seems to resonate with the most people is, um, you know, not amplifying particular messages. Or if someone puts out a, a tweet, hiding that tweet from everyone uh, without that person who tweeted it knowing about it. So, but the real question behind the question is, are we doing something according to political ideology or viewpoints? And we are not, period. We do not look at content with regards to political viewpoint or ideology. We look at behavior. And we use that behavior as a signal to, uh, to add to relevance. We need to constantly show that we are not adding our own bias, which I fully admit is, is, left, is, is more left-leaning. Uh, and I think it's important to articulate our bias and to, 
and to and to share with share it with people so that people understand us. But we need to remove all bias from how we act and our policies and our enforcement. People have these assumptions that that you're out to get them or something. Uh, that and which is why transparency matters so much. Yeah. Uh, which is why being open about our own personal views and and what we think about what's happening is is important. And I'll, I'll fully admit that I haven't done enough of that. I haven't. I haven't done enough of like articulating my own personal objectives with this service and, and my own personal objectives in the world. And, and uh, I, I think people see a faceless corporation that has, they don't assume that humans are in it, you know, or that they're genuine or authentic. They just assume based on what the output is. And, and that's, that's on us. And it's on me. Oh, wow. So that was Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey. He just sounds so reasonable, doesn't he? And so I have a friend who's an activist and, I mean, all-around expert on a ton of different things, Ali Akbar, who is actually in close communication with Jack Dorsey. Like, they text each other. And Ali is a black conservative, and and he's a a political consultant. And I don't know how they got connected up, but they have been communicating about the treatment of conservatives on Twitter. And so I thought, when, when I realized the two of them were in communication, I thought, well, Ali will let him know we're just real people who differ from Jack Dorsey and many of his employees politically, but we're just real people and we deserve an opportunity to give our views a fair hearing on Twitter. If it's a public service and it's driven by ad revenue, and believe me, conservatives spend quite a pretty penny on ads on Twitter. Um, I know I have. So it's, it's, you know, you would think that things are getting better, but instead there's this connection between the two of them. And things are continuing to stay the same or, or even get worse with people getting suspended and people getting their accounts taken down for nothing other than tweeting out the truth about genocides around the world, things like that. It's, it's that sensitive, the algorithm. Yeah, I rolled my eyes a little bit. I did. I'm, I'm not going to hide it from you. I, I don't believe it. Sorry, I don't. So now I want to give you just I, – I just – how good was Maddie Doppler in breaking down the economic prospects? And regardless of political affiliation, a booming economy, a robust economic outlook is great for Americans. So whether you're here and you're, you know, a part of the gig economy or if you're in the traditional economy where you're employed by someone else and, you know, you're getting your benefits through them. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're someone who has a, a number of side businesses going while you're at home homeschooling kids, no matter what your circumstances are, a booming economy with lots of Americans who have disposable income is a good thing for you. And I, I don't see how the, the Democrats can run on repealing the tax cuts when everything seems to be tied into those tax cuts being good for Americans. And if you're the kind of person who you feel that uh, because someone is wealthy, that they don't deserve what they have, you really, it's, don't even think about the money, just go straight to your Bible. There's, there's scriptures in there that cover that. We, we are not to covet what our neighbor or other fellow citizen has earned. And that's just it, period. That's the end of that. That's not the way we are to comport ourselves. So I want to give you a little bit of information from MarketWatch. It's marketwatch.com. They did a recent study of 401k plan investors with more than a million dollars in assets. And what they found would surprise you that starting early enough and saving often enough would mean that you don't have to make millions to save millions. And you don't have to make a tremendous sacrifice. 
So according to Fidelity Investments, which is one of the nation's largest 401k trustees, I don't have accounts with them. They don't pay me. Just telling you what's on Market Watch. It says that out of the 1,100 employees making under 150,000 that accumulated more than a million in their Fidelity 401k plan, in studying the transaction history of these accounts from 2000 to 2012, they found some things were similar. So this is not all average data that represents the median value of half more and half less, but here's what they found. The average 401k millionaire is 59 years old and has worked 34 years for their current employer. They began saving early and let the power of compounded tax-deferred growth work on their behalf. During the 12 years under study, the average 401k millionaire deferred 14% of their pay, or about $13,300 annually, indicating that the average salary was less than $100,000 during these years. And so mentally extrapolate that down or up based on your situation You don't have to be a 401k millionaire, but you could definitely be a three quarters of a millionaire if you're not making, you know, nearly as much as 100,000. This isn't about a set number being the only goal. It's about you having a number that works for you personally and then striving towards that. You don't have to make 100,000 to do this, but they're talking about the 1,100 different individuals that they studied. So salary deferrals. We're large enough to take advantage of the free money of the employer match. The average annual company contribution was about 5% for a total annual contribution of 19% of pay. Stated another way, 28% of the contributions to the average 401k millionaire's account came from his or her employer. That's almost a third. That's almost a third of the money in there is free. So that means they really only saved and invested to the 750 mark and the other 250,000 well, that's a quarter. It's more than that. <laughs> it's more than that. 700,000. Yeah. Three, six, nine. Yeah. 333,000 or so came from the employer. Um, the average 401k millionaire had 75% of their assets invested in equities. Their portfolios yielded an average annualized return of 4.8% during the 12 years studied. After adding employer contributions, the average account balance grew by 8.5% annually. So you may not need to accumulate a million in your 401k to achieve your retirement goals, Um, but they want you to fund your 401k to the maximum extent possible. And um, the adage of saving 10% of income is obsolete, and it's a relic of prior time when corporations provided defined benefit pensions. For most employees today, the 401k will make up the bulk of their retirement portfolio in a 30 to 40 year working career, a 15% salary deferral and a 3% match if properly managed and allocated should create account, an account balance. Now I want to add something here from the Christian worldview perspective, which is this is the world's view of what you're supposed to do so that you can retire you know, around the age of 65. I believe based on what I've read in the Bible, and I'm no scholar, but I definitely have read my Bible, that God doesn't intend for us to leave the ministry field uh, you know, when we turn 65 and live another 30 years on a beach somewhere or taking vacations, as much as I like to go to the beach, y'all know I do. If we were to say we're saving this amount of money so that as we get older and we can't work as much, we can still continue to have a comfortable lifestyle that is a much more realistic, uh, you know, output. In other words, when is it that you would be absolutely unable to work due to your age and infirmity. You want to have a nice amount of money set aside for that. And you may be changing, as we've discussed on previous shows, 
from your primary career that you earn the bulk of your money and have the highest income, you'd be transferring from that and moving into the time of your life where you're not earning as much money, you don't have as many expenses because you don't have children in the home, but you're still working. It's just not to the same degree that you were before. And, and during those years, if you need savings to supplement your income, that would be preferable. Also, something to, to think about that I don't see here in this article, but I'm not going to read you the whole thing, is that if you own your own home by the time you reach that first retirement age of 65 and you keep working and so you don't have mortgage payments, you just have your annual property taxes, that lowers your expenses quite a bit. Also, thinking through whether or not the home that you raised your kids in if it's sizable, if that's going to be something you're going to want to continue to live in in your 60s and 70s and 80s, that maintenance and upkeep and also heating and cooling expenses for a larger home when there are only two of you possibly and you you know need to have a smaller place. So, or you could get by with a smaller place. So it's a lot to think about, but God gives us a lot of resources. We have so much available to us in which to educate ourselves and make sure that we're on the right path or make corrections. And so, and as opposed to thinking of it as, 65, that's when I stop working. <laughs> and then you go and live to be 90 years old. Rather think of as I approach my 60s, I want to know that I'm going to be doing this job. Maybe I'm going to keep doing this job. Maybe you're in programming or, or some in a, in a career field where the thing for you is your mental acuity. And as long as you're sharp, you can keep doing that. Maybe you're a company owner. Most business owners keep working and owning their company until they absolutely just can't do it anymore and then they retire, but they still have some kind of role on the board or something where they're contributing and at least attending meetings. But if you're not owning your own company, maybe you want to in your 60s. Maybe that's when you open up your bookstore or your coffee shop or whatever and you want to have the savings from your 401k to do that. Whatever the case is, The idea that we're just going to completely stop working and sit around in nice, you know, $500 Adirondack chairs from some fancy place down in, you know, uh, Naples, that is obsolete. And the Social Security Trust Fund will be completely empty in 2024, barring any other unforeseen circumstances to the negative. So we have to have a different view of things. And I think it's, it's, it's smart for them to say, you know, you need to save more than 10% of your income. And if you're not to that place, you might want to look up Financial Peace University. It's a fantastic program for helping you to have a right view of your finances and make sure that you're tithing so that the Lord can bless the entirety of what you keep, you know, it, but by giving to him first, by being obedient and giving him back that 10%, then you're in a position where you can do, you know, you don't have as much debt because now you've carved out enough to save 10%. It's so much easier after that to keep biting off of that debt so that you have more of your disposable income that you control and you don't owe to someone that you borrowed from, then you can start making some really great plans. And if you're not a millennial, which chances are, if you're listening to this show, you're not, hey, to the millennials, you guys are awesome. But if you're not a millennial and you're listening to this show and you're thinking, well, I don't have, you know, 34 years left in which to do this. It's never too late to start. Don't be discouraged by people who say, well, The thing is, if you're starting now, the market is high and you can't, yes, you can still make money. And yes, you should still save and invest. You should start whenever you're able and do the best that you can and ask the Lord to bless it because he will. That's, that, that's, that's what he's there for is to help us, whether we start early or we start late, start early by all means. If you're younger and you're listening to this show, you need to be looking at how much money you can set aside and create that space. So it's a habit for you. But I just find it fascinating that, um, With all this good news economically, we only hear bad things 
we're not hearing anything about this. This is the time when your income is up and you've got some kind of bonus from your employer. Sure, you might want to take a trip, but you also might want to fund that extra continuing education class. You can get a promotion. You might want to take that money and pour it into a ministry that you really care about or in keeping with this whole you know, segment and, and Maddie Doppler's comments, you might want to put that money into your 401k and or at least some of it and then look at the increase that you're getting from your employer and say, OK, you know, this is an extra three hundred dollars a month. We're going to put a hundred of that in where we can use it. And the other 200, we're not ever going to see it because it's going to go straight to the 401k until we get to that match amount. It's a good thing to do. And it's really, it's, it sounds so difficult when you're in that coupon cutting phase. Been there, done that. I've cut my fair share of coupons, but it gets easier. As you get older, as you earn more, as you're better at managing your money, it gets easier for you. And if you're already there where you're past all of that, it's even, this is, this is the gravy time where you get to move things around like, you know, uh, like pieces on a board to arrange them in a way that is most beneficial to you. And so commit all of it to God in prayer and make sure that you know that it is God's will for us that we live life abundantly, but he is a rewarder of obedience. So the tithing, the wise counsel, the saving, you know, being wise with our spending, not being debtors, all those things play a, a, a role here. And there's no one who's too far gone that can't come back. The amazing stories that I've heard and seen on different websites and and even people I know who've made fantastic turnarounds with their finances are proof that this can happen for anyone. And I love the 401k millionaire deal where, you know, if you live in a high cost of living area, that million might not go very far, but there's always a town like Tupelo (laughs) that you can move to in your later years and open up a shop and... Much cheaper houses, still fantastic people. The, the possibilities are endless. You're in America. You're an American, not an American. All right? We have hour two right after this. We're going to be talking about ESPN solving their kneeling protest problems. And then we're going to get back into the statistics of why so many young people are leaving the church and what we can do about it. Stay there. Stay there.